Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Win Today podcast, where it is our mission to inspire people to win today by connecting with amazing leaders and sharing amazing stories. My name is Ryan Cass, and I am your host, and it is my passion to serve others and equip you with tools to win today, tomorrow, and in the future. We are committed to bringing you dedicated, talented, and passionate experts that will inspire you, educate you, and push you to reach your goals and secure a prosperous future in life for yourself, your family, your community, and those around you. We love inspiring people to win today, push forward, overcome obstacles, and live their greatest life. If you enjoy what you're hearing, please help us grow and continue to serve as many people as possible on our mission by sharing the podcast, subscribing, and if you feel led, hitting one of those buttons that has five stars on it. Now, thank you so much for tuning in, and let's connect with our guest. This is episode number 26 on season two. I'm thrilled to be joined by Christina Locke. Christina is the founder and CEO of Catch Talent, based here in Charleston, South Carolina. In addition to that, she is the founder of Disrupt HR Charleston, and she loves to give back and serve the community as she is a board member with Charleston Women in Tech. Christina, I've been following Catch Talent for a long time and been a a fan from the from the outside just seeing you as a leader and someone who is committed to giving back in the community serving lives improving lives and businesses and it is an honor to to have you here thanks Brian I appreciate that very nice uh, introduction and kind words of you to say yeah so one thing that I love to ask right off the bat, and you and I were talking before this, you know, digging into the people side and looking at Catch Talent, amazing organization. And it's been, uh, it's got Inc. 5000 notoriety multiple times noted as one of the fastest growing companies in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And people can read a, you've got an incredible rap sheet, but what's something that's not on your bio or resume that makes you really proud and why? Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, first and foremost, I'm also a mom and that's maybe not on my LinkedIn or bio, um, but that's my primary, right? Um, Without my kids and family, why am I doing this? You know, it's, they're my reason, they're my why. And every day, you know, I want to show up and and make them proud and, and also, you know, show them what the future can be if they want to start their own business or be part of a great organization, whatever that path may be. Um, so, you know, I was definitely sort of an underdog growing up. And so I feel like the story for them is just to follow your dreams and that journey's never over. Um, so that's hopefully the legacy that I'm leaving them with. I love that. And every single, every single guest that I've had on here that is a parent, when I ask that question always says that it's, I am a, a mother or I'm a father and Mm -hmm. I've got a family and I think that's the coolest thing ever that, and it speaks to the, the character uh, that, that you possess, that you didn't go mention, well, there's this uh, one award that I didn't <laughs> put on there 
And I'm really proud of that. And Hey, Mm -hmm. good for you, but you go straight to, to family. And, um, again, I just, I love that seeing that human piece and you've actually talked a lot about that on interviews that I've listened to you, uh, Ben Fanning's podcast most recently, where you really talk about getting to know your employees and who they really are uh, beyond just being one of your employees. And I think your answer just speaks to, to how seriously you take that. I want to get into your pathway and you've had an interesting path, very successful career going through the corporate world and then the startup space at Spark Mm -hmm. and then prior to starting Catch. But you just mentioned something that you were kind of the underdog growing up. So talk about, talk about that and your pathway to get where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think every, if you talk to any entrepreneur, they've got some sort of story around that, right? It's like, uh, I have something to prove. And um, that was always sort of ingrained in me, right? was definitely struggled in school. Um, growing up in elementary, traditional school was not exactly where I thrived. Um, really, once I got into my degrees where I, I really, you know, honed in on what I was good at, which was business, it turns out, um, you know, and I, I grew up and I was bullied a lot. You know, I was, you know, smaller kid, right? Late bloomer, all those things. And um, certainly not, didn't run with the popular crowd. I had a, I had my third grade teacher actually tell me and my parents that I would, I would always struggle um, and that I would struggle throughout school and I would struggle throughout life, which is a hard thing, you know, when you've just moved to a new town to hear a teacher say. Um, and so I think for, you know, for me, it was like, I'm, I'm going to prove the world, right? That it's, it's not all about what you do in school. That's, that's great and all, and it gets you to where you need to be. But, you know, there are things beyond that, that you can really make an impact. What was your turning point? I'm curious because something that I can relate to you with is mm-hmm. I did not do very well in school either, uh, all the way through through high school, and yeah. even and I always had this vision of you know one day I'm going to to run a business and impact people, but my academics wouldn't have supported yeah. that vision. Or if you looked at my report card after I told you that, like. I don't know, Ryan. And <laughs> and then, so that's part of why I went to the Citadel. Mm. But one thing that did it for me, what turned everything around for me was as I started studying various business leaders, I love to talk about Tony Robbins and Richard mm-hmm. Branson and guys like that. And then I started researching a little bit more. I was like, what makes them successful? What do they attribute their success to? And they write their goals down. Mm. And I'll never forget August of 2011. It was my first semester, my freshman year. Like, okay, if the goal set, if this goal setting, I've heard about it. If that's really a thing that makes people super successful, that requires zero talent, you don't need a 4.0 to do it. Let me give it a shot. Yeah. And my God, I mean, you could see that whiteboard right behind me. That, those are my goals for the year. Like I will always, they're always with me, but it changed my life. That was my turning point. Yeah. So what was yours? Yeah, I really um, believe like once I started working and I started working probably before it was legal, (laughs) um, I was, I think, 14 or 15 and I got into retail and it just turned on, right? Like I got confidence. I was really good at it. I could connect with people. 
I was really hard worker. I mean, when I went from school to soccer practice to work, you know, Monday through Friday and it just clicked. It was like, this is what I'm meant to do is, you know, at a human level, really like the sales aspect was just immediate for me. It probably comes from both my parents. And that gave me the confidence to know that there was something beyond academics. Um, and it just flourished. I've worked my entire life. Like there's, you know, I, I'm embarrassed to say like, even my maternity leave was not totally a leave, um, both times because I, I love, I'm passionate about work and, um, I do have a great work-life integration. Like I said, I mean, I'm very much involved in my, my children's lives and my family lives, but work for me has always come so naturally. And it's, I, I just love it. Like there's that saying, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Mm -hmm. And so early on that really just snapped in for me and it, it was, it was exactly what I was meant to do. What was that retail experience that, that gave you all the confidence? Because you got me thinking about my first job, mm -hmm. but I want to hear what, what it was for you. And then I'll yeah. tell you mine. Cause it's kind of funny, okay. but then as you said it, I'm like, you know what this, my first job as silly as it was made me not afraid to get in front of anyone. Right. Oh, yeah. it does. I mean, there was definitely like that confidence booster. So I worked at Rack Room Shoes. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was my first job ever. And funny enough, like I wasn't expecting it, but they offered commission. It was 1% commission on whatever you sold. And my first sale was like two pairs of Timberland boots. And so it was $300. I was like, well, that was three more dollars than, you know, I, I had an hour ago. Um, so that was motivating, right? Like that commission mindset. I was like, this is awesome. Like the harder I work, the more I hustle, the more money I can make. And so again, that's been kind of the path of my career, right? Like I got right into a commission job right out of college too. Mm -hmm. So, um, good old rack room shoes, put it in perspective. I love those, those type of jobs early on. And I think they're important even at, you know, 14, 15 years old. So my first job I worked at Carowinds, the theme park in Charlotte. Oh, yeah. No, I, I grew up in Charlotte. Yeah. Yeah. So that's home for me, Fort Mill. And, and you could start working at Carowinds at 15. I was like, well, I'm going to want to make money and mm -hmm. I don't want to rely on my parents. So I worked, I worked there and, you know, when you're at the theme park and there's the annoying people on the microphones that come play this game and, you know, yeah. calling people out. So that was my first job. But then also same thing where if we had the most sales, we'd get to, you know, sometimes they'd give us a little extra money. But uh, for me, what really did it for me was, you know, I've just, I've got a sweet tooth and they would give us credits to go to the candy stop, candy shop yeah, there. I probably would have arrived and go to. <laughs> yeah. And for me, like, even though, you know, one thing people don't know about me, you know, you could see you walk into my house, me walking here, like, oh, this guy must be re really serious, which I am when needed. But Besides yeah. that, I'm just a big kid. And so like, you go give me candy. I'll do, a, I'll do tricks. I'll do all sorts of things, but yeah. getting out there in that, in that referee costume. And, you know, there's a bunch of people walking by that are from school. There's the, there's the cute woman from school. It's like, well, you got to stay on the mic, Ryan. Like they'd yell at you if you didn't, if you weren't on the mic, right, like, oh, right. here we go. <laughs> but now like, it makes me, I'll go talk to anyone, not afraid. And it's, it's, yeah. it would, I would say it was a pivotal experience, even though at the time I didn't think about it being that. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I feel like, and, and there's sort of a lost art there, right? There were, I had friends that didn't work during high school or, you know, just didn't have to. And, 
you know, I, I think those are really foundational years as, as a young adult. And, you know, if you can build that confidence and, um, you know, sort of learn business in any capacity, right? Whatever you do, there's a business component. Um, so I feel like that's, um, you know, they're finding more and more that like if they're tapping into high school students and we we partner with a company called Tallow, where it's like they look at the trajectory of high school students and what their career path is going to be. That's how early it's starting now. Um, I think that's amazing if you can connect the dots that early. Absolutely. So you started stacking wins and then out of college, you took a role that was primarily commission based. It was at Aerotech, mm-hmm. right? That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I do, I do all my research on everyone. Good, like I, can, I know. I you can should map be out, <laughs> <laughs> I can map out your, your career path, but you went there, but, but really before going to, before starting catch, you were the first employee at spark. That's right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. One thing I want to talk through there is, and then really want to dig into catch, but um, one thing that bring up startups and people think, oh, exciting. This is awesome. And you've got, you can create Mm -hmm. on the flip side. People are like, I don't know about that, man. There's, (laughs) (laughs) there's so much uncertainty. You're the first one. You don't know what's going to happen. Obviously spark was a huge success because it was, it was later acquired, but uh, mm-hmm. What made you want to, or what made you willing to take the leap into the startup space and literally being employee number one at a new organization? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and one that I do get often, I mean, it's, it is funny. Cause I always say like, I want to write a book one day that like, so you think your startup sexy because um, <laughs> the early days are not um, at all. It's it's a lot of hard work, long hours, risk. You know, a lot of risk. My husband was um, laid off from his job the year prior, and so we we put a lot into the opportunity with Spark. I happen to know the founder um, and had a lot of trust and, and background with him. So that, that certainly helps. You got to work with people that you trust and, you know, at the core, you know, that they're not going to, they won't do, they'll do what it takes to succeed. Right. So we had a lot of that intrinsic trust right off the bat. Um, and, and I think too, I mean, my, my dad is from Denmark. He came over not knowing really any English. And so I think, you know, that, that whole background of, of coming over to America and, and living the American dream. And me always said, like, if he can do that, I can jump into a startup, right? Like that's way less risk than he did. Like not knowing anyone in this country, not knowing the language. Um, so I think for me that always was kind of implanted in me from early on that like impossible is nothing, you know, like whatever you set out to do, if Spark didn't work out, then we would have created the next thing. You know, it just would have been maybe a, another iteration of, of what that company was going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of it comes down to to mindset at the end of the day. And Absolutely. to your point, impossible is nothing. I'm a, I'm a big runner and I love the quote from, so Elliot Kipchoge last year broke the two-hour marathon record. Everyone said that's impossible. And mm. there's this quote, as he's crossing the finish line, well, it's one of his quotes, but he's crossing the finish line They had it up there. And it says, you know, I believe no human is limited. And I believe that to go into these things, the entrepreneurship world, starting something, you really have to have that, that thinking that, Hey, this is possible. It's not a guaranteed success, but another thing that I love Henry Ford, if you think you can, 
or you can't, you're right. That's right. <laughs> no, so true. I mean, mindset, I think you'll find too, as, as I'm sure you've interviewed a lot of entrepreneurs, is that we are serial optimists <laughs> uh, for better or worse. And so I, we're just always crazy optimistic. Like this is going to work out. And even during hard times, you find the optimism and the good and what's going to happen. And I think we still do that today here at Catch where, you know, we have a core value where it's always forward. So you, we don't lose, we either learn or we win. And, and that is another um, obviously famous quote as well, but um, it's true. I mean, I, I even instilled it in my kids where if they get frustrated and they lose a game, a soccer game, I'm like, okay, yeah, you didn't win, but what did you learn today? And yeah. I think there's something so powerful, like you said, about that mindset versus, you know, being down and feeling sorry for yourself, you know, whatever the circumstances may be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Win or learn Conor McGregor. At least that's mm-hmm. who I who I know saying that last. But I love that. And I love that you instill that not only in your employees, but you bring it home and it's with your kids. And sure. I want wish that everyone gets to to <laughs> learn that. So before before I jump into catch, just thinking about the early startup days, I've seen this picture with Jeff Bezos when he was starting Amazon that he just had, you know, amazon.com just spray painted on a piece of plywood in his office. Like it's a famous picture now. Famous, Yeah. Yeah. What were the early days like at Spark? Because you were talking through podcasts with Ben that you were, you were learning everything. And I think that's another thing that, that is important for going into entrepreneurship, right? That you have to be very inquisitive. And even though you weren't a finance person by trade. You're sitting through the finance meetings, asking questions, being curious mm-hmm. and learning anything and everything. So, you know, what were those early experiences like and how did that really shape you into shape you as a leader now at Catch? Yeah. No, I mean, I I always say Spark was my MBA. I, I give a lot of credit to anyone that has. I, I I almost went for my official MBA, but like Spark was my my living MBA. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, early early, I sat in the same um, cubicle with Eric, our my my CEO at the time and and co-founder, and there would be times I'm like, I'm not I'm not an accountant. He'd be like, figure it out. You know, he would literally say those three words. He would just Love say, it. just figure it out. And I would. And, and so I think sometimes when your feet are to the fire and you have no one else to do it, you you have to immerse yourself in the business and what you're doing. Um, you, so I think that is so critical. Exposure is, is, it really is so much of the puzzle, right? Like if you don't know how to, you know, drive a boat, but you're watching someone, you know, and, and every day you, you gain a little bit more and more. Like that's how I learn. I think that's how most humans learn. And so I think the exposure is so critical. And that's why whenever I'm speaking with candidates, I'm like, take this opportunity to be a sponge. Like if you ever want to be an entrepreneur, learn everything you can from everyone around you and take those lessons with you. So that was for me, like such a pivotal moment. I love it. Absolutely love it. So catch now is just shy of seven years old. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll be so, seven years old in November. Seven years old. And if I'm not mistaken, from what I read on the website, over 8,000 placements now, right? Is yeah, right? probably pretty darn close. <laughs> so the, the collective impact has just been phenomenal. And you've got a presence all across the Southeast, 
yet mm-hmm. you serve and, and you also serve the entire United States. What is catch and what are some of the organizational core values? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so at our core, we're, we're people connectors, right? That's at our core, what we do, we connect people with great companies and, and help companies really guide them through the journey of interviewing and building their teams um, which again, go back to startup or any size company is super critical. I think we're all, um, us included, feeling the impact of post-COVID world and the great reshuffle. You know, I think that's been used a lot. Um, and everyone's like, wow, you guys should are probably just loving it. And I'm like, it's hard, it's hard for us too, you know, like it is a really tight market out there. Um, but yeah, going back to catch, I mean, we, um, are really protective of the, the companies that we work with, the people that we work with, because we want it to be a great relationship, you know, like people, um, at the end of the day are, our product, those relationships are our products. It's not like I have a physical product that I can just send back if it's not working. Um, and so there's, there's a really big psychological component to what we do. We act like therapists. We act, we act as guides. And I take a, a lot of pride in that. Um, you know, even like anyone that goes on, we have five-star Google reviews. We have amazing client testimonials. And I'm really proud of that because it's, it's certainly not easy, the the science of interviewing and hiring, but, you know, we get to know that at the human level, right? I mean, it's, it's easy to have the mindset of it's all about quantity. And for us, it, it truly is about finding great people position, sometimes become our hiring managers and just expand out, you know, our reach. And, and we really change lives at the end of the day, which mm-hmm. sounds a little dramatic, but, um, you know, it, it's true. We, we change the course of someone's life. If they meet their future spouse at their job or they relocate, I mean, that's a really powerful um, position to be in. And, and one, I think that we sometimes take for granted but some of our core values are, like I said, always forward, right? I mean, we always, it's, it can be challenging what we do. All sales or, you know, businesses can be challenging. And so we always like to focus on the windshield and not the rear view. Um, we give back and we're really um, involved in the community. Like you mentioned, women in tech, I'm part of the chamber. We host Disrupt. And so we really emphasize that from a team perspective is, you know, I feel like whatever we have given back, whether it be here in Charleston or in the communities that we're in, it comes back to us tenfold, right? Um, so that's something that we're we're really excited and, and proud to continue to do. Mm-hmm. I love that. And in your world, yeah, it's about people. And and I love what you what you mentioned too. You do change lives because you're connecting people in many cases to their mm-hmm. dream jobs. And yeah. bonus if they just so happen to meet their spouse or whoever they're, but they're, they're connecting totally. people with their dream, dream jobs. That's a life-changing moment. So one thing that I am very curious about mm-hmm. with the people side, obviously you're doing your best to connect organizations with the talent that they need to, to be successful and to identify dream opportunities for, for people at various organizations. Now you've got clearly, you know, there's the resume says one thing, but right. then the people side can, you know, that's, that's really where you've got to, to dig in and see like, is this the right match? Yeah. So, and, and a lot of that goes to having a really strong sense of intuition, which was one thing I heard you mention with Ben. So how yeah. do you build up 
that soft side. So beyond the resume, what are some indicators for whether or not someone's truly a good fit for a, a position? Yeah. I mean, I feel like listening is a huge part of what we do. Like I always say, I talk for a living, but really what we do is listen. And, you know, when you're intently listening to someone, you know, think about how many times you're in an audience and you're at a conference and you're like sort of listening, like you're listening maybe for three or four minutes. And then you're, you know, kind of not, I mean, we have to intently listen for anything that may indicate that someone has concern or there may be, you know, not an exact fit. Like they could say, well, you know, I want to work remote hundred percent of the time for the rest of my life. Okay. So an on-site role is probably not for you. <laughs> um, and then past behavior is generally indicative of future behavior. So we'll always, you know, dive into their backgrounds and past positions. And again, you know, picking up on certain trends over time, I always tell my new recruiters this, like if, if they get burnt by someone, I'm like, it'll never happen again. Right. <laughs> like you'll learn from that and you'll know in the future to ask questions so that someone isn't going to maybe pull the wool over your eyes. Cause you'll know the, the type of questions that may seem uncomfortable, but that we have to ask in order to represent our company as well. Mm-hmm. And how has COVID changed your landscape now? That's another one. I haven't really talked to any leaders yet that have had their businesses impacted by COVID. And in this okay. case, going from, I'm sure, putting people in positions where they're on site to now completely yeah. virtual. So how have you made the pivot as an organization, as a leader to uh, keep up with this ever-changing workforce? Right. Yeah. I mean, that was a huge change, right? It was like we had maybe one or two clients that were fully remote and now gosh probably 85 to 90%. I mean here in you know in the southeast it's a little bit more common to be on site and and there are I do feel like the pendulum's going to swing. That's in a whole other maybe podcast is that I think the pendulum is going to swing. There are um individuals that especially the younger generation or those that are just getting into their career that I am honestly concerned of them starting in a remote capacity and just their ability, that exposure, everything I talked about. Um, but for catch in particular, it was really just becoming subject matter experts of remote hiring, right? Like we were the first line of defense, being able to talk to candidates, making sure that they were loyal to the company, loyal to this opportunity. Um, cause there is, you know, a little bit of the, Hey, I could just, I don't even know my manager. I've never met them. And, and so that whole loyalty thing can really come into play, especially as people are resigning and kind of shuffling around. Um, for us, it, it just opened a huge aperture of where we could hire people and, and where we could work. So that was actually really amazing. I didn't have to sit, you know, in San Francisco to work with a Bay area company. It was, you know, an opportunity for us to really nationalize our brand. Mm-hmm. In some cases, this much of must have opened up some huge windows of opportunity, oh, yeah. but wasn't sure, you know, exactly what that looked like. So I want to go back to the uh, values piece and something that you said on Ben Fanning's podcast that you also encourage your employees to act like owners. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what exactly does that mean to you? Yeah, I think, you know, I have always 
taken the approach, if this were my business, how would I make this decision? And I think empowering your employees to have that sort of decision-making is, is important because I can't be here all the time. Like I, I'm not going to micromanage and and wonder what they're doing at all times. I mean, they're essentially running their own business as, as a recruiter because you're kind of in control of, you know, who you're hiring, the amount of people, your commission, all those sort of things. Um, but on top of that, I think it's just doing the right thing. You know, it's, um, you know, we could go out to, you know, maybe a really nice meal as, as an employee of catch and say, well, let's just blow it out. Right. But like, is that acting like an owner? Is that the fiscally responsible thing to do? Um, probably not. Or, <laughs> you know, um, I think just having the empowerment to know that they can make decisions every day that impact our brand and, you know, give great ideas. That was the other thing too. Like, I don't want ideas to be held with within them. I want them to feel like they can come out and give us new ideas. We're, we're certainly not the experts in all those areas. So that's another area too, that I, I really like to encourage. I love the humility there as a leader and encouraging people to act like owners. And when I heard you say that on Ben's podcast, I was like, okay, I got to ask her about this because <laughs> This also, and, the, and part of the reason why is because of this book I read last year, Flamin' Hot. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with the story of Hot Cheetos and how those came about? No. Okay. So in, in very short, the how Hot Cheetos were originated is from actually from a janitor at Frito-Lay, Richard Montanez. And the CEO of Frito-Lay at the time sent out a company-wide note and said, I want y'all to act like owners. And if you have any ideas that can make Frito-Lay a better company or more competitive, send them forward. And Richard, it is, as a janitor, it's like, you know what? We don't really have any products that tailor to Hispanics. And, you know, we love in Hispanics. And I say we because, you know, my mother's Colombian. I'm Hispanic. We mm-hmm. love spice. So <laughs> he started experimenting with this hot Cheeto recipe in his living room with his family. It works out calls the CEO, CEO flies down to from Texas to California, test them out. That's how Hot Cheetos came about. That's awesome. Billion dollar idea love all it. by being encouraged to act like an owner. I love that. So I that's thought that was really story. cool that I thought yeah. that was really cool that that's something that that you um, encourage your employees to do. Absolutely. I know you well enough just from the conversation that we're having and from the time I've spent following catch as, as a fan and everything that you do as a business leader and community leader, uh, catch is only going to continue growing, expanding presence. Mm-hmm. So what does the future look like? Because right now you've got presence in the Southeast, you serve the entire United States, but what do you see for the next five years? And what are some trends that you're seeing in various industries that you support right now that really excite you? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it's something we talk about often. Um, I think what excites me is that we get to be involved in these amazing growing markets and communities. Um, Like you said, like Nashville, Tampa, Raleigh, throughout the Southeast Atlanta, and truly give back to those communities, not only from, you know, ground floor, we're helping these companies, you know, grow their teams, which is a super critical part of of any organization, but, you know, also the other aspects of the community in which we are serving. 
um, which is interview um, training, you know, those sort of things. We're hosting Disrupt HR, bringing a lot of the HR and talent community together. Um, and then from a, a trend perspective and, and recruiting in general, you know, while there's this word out there that starts with an R that everyone's talking about on, on you know, the cusp of, of potentially happening, the job market is not slowing down. Like month over month, year over year, we're far beyond pre-COVID uh, levels from just an employment standpoint. And so the job market is not going anywhere, I truly believe. And recruiters will need to be industry experts. We are going to continue to um, dive into that and understand what are the trends, how can we best support our candidates and hiring companies. And really, you know, that for us is, is what we're going to lean into. And, and we're really excited about, you know, the future and the potential there. Yeah, I'm absolutely excited for for the future as well and just continuing to follow and be a be a fan and supporter. And Thank do you. you ever do you have a a number in mind? So over the last seven years, you've had the opportunity to serve over eight thousand people and mm-hmm. change eight thousand lives, as you mentioned, that you know it's really a life-changing business. So if we're looking ahead five years from now, do you want that? Do you have an idea of what you want that number to be? I, you know, it's, it's not like a, uh, like I said, like a quantitative number. If we can continue to work with great companies and hire great people, I, I mean, I know that sounds a little cliche, but I don't want to quantify it. I mean, we've turned away business. Um, if it hasn't felt like a good match, um, Everything we do represents our brand. And so we're really diligent about that. And it's it's a very thoughtful process. So if anything, like our growth has been organic. Our client base is, is heavily referral-based. So we hope that that will continue just based on doing great work. I love that. And I love that you, again, reiterated that you're not just about the, the numbers. And mm-hmm. you want to truly um, serve and connect. And would you say, I would what I'm hearing is a competitive advantage of catch that you're not just going to take anyone and everyone. And here you go. I'm going to make sure I'm giving you a high quality candidate and, and someone that's going to uh, serve your organization well, but then also someone that, you know, is going to feel like they're in a good home too, based off of their personality and their experiences. So in addition to that though, what would you say are the competitive advantages of catch that you've, you and the team have helped create? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we, um, to your point, I mean, a lot of it is done on how we train our team and, and to ensure that it is that quality. I mean, if anyone, um, on this, that's watching this or even you included hiring is, is a, can be a painful process because it's weeding out. It's, you know, you're either qualifying or disqualifying. And it's honestly that time to hire you know, we're, we're not trying to rush anything, but the speed of, of hiring and making those decisions is so crucial right now because you can miss out on a great person and a great candidate. So I think the speed to hire um, is something that we can absolutely, um, that is a competitive advantage of working with us. This is what we do all day, <laughs> every day. Um, you know, and for a lot of internal TA or um, HR, which was my background, you have a million other things you're doing. So I think that we're able to bring interview ready candidates to the table. They're, you know, 95, 98% there from a skill standpoint. And so it's, you know, putting those top candidates right in front of you. Mm. 
What's one thing about your industry and field of work that people often get wrong that you would really like for them to understand? Well, I think, you know, we've kind of covered that already that, um, that it's a transactional business Mm -hmm. and there's a reason I started catch. I say that all the time because I really wanted to change the face of staffing and recruiting because it, it truly isn't for us, the, the transactional part or the numbers, um, I've always gotten so much joy, even to this day, I've been doing this over 20 years now and it never gets old. Like every time we get an offer out, every time we sign a new client, it it really doesn't get old. I, I, you know, maybe one day, like when I'm 70, but I really don't think so. I, I find a lot of joy in identifying, right? Like it's almost like putting a puzzle to get together. And I work with a lot of engineers. So I know the excitement that they get when they have a breakthrough code, you know, and and something actually works for the first time in the app development world. So for us, that is the puzzle pieces that we're putting together. It's like right person, right company, right opportunity. Um, and that's a really um, amazing feeling. Now with so many and not focusing on the numbers piece with this question per se, but just with the impact that you've had helping help so many people, Mm-hmm. Are there any stories that stick out that really just give you a lot of joy, you know, and verse like maybe you placed, helped place this one person and then maybe, yeah, he or she did find their, their spouse and then they had yeah. an amazing career, became CEO, like anything come to mind there? Gosh, I mean, there, I hate to say there are so many to choose yeah. from because right. I like Spark was and, and all the clients we work with, but like Spark was such an amazing place. And everyone I've seen that has been there and, and gone to do other things, start businesses, work at Amazon, Spotify, you know, it's like incredible to the talent that we were able and, and the amazing team that we had. Um, you know, I think for for maybe um, me in particular, again, I always have like a soft spot for an underdog um, type story. And, um, you know, maybe my team specifically is is when we gave an opportunity to someone that had just really been kind of down and out. She had worked in various different kind of restaurant food and beverages, had trying to find her way as a young adult into really what she wanted to do. And we brought her in, taught her recruiting and recruiting is really one of those skills that is like a life skill. Um, So I have kind of a passion project that's formulating in the background that I'll talk about later. Um, But now she's thriving. Like she works with one of the, the best tech companies here locally in Charleston. She is, has made her own brand. And that was all from an opportunity that we brought her in and said, you have all the right skills. You just haven't had the opportunity to really like someone to teach you and take you under their wings. So I think that mentorship has always been so close to my heart too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know you do spend a lot of time in the community serving as a mentor and on various boards through the chamber. And I know I noticed that you are an upcoming mentor for the leadership discovery class. Yes. For 2022. So I love that. I love that you love to, to give back. And I noticed in was it earlier this year or last year, you gave a presentation to members of Charleston women in tech, and you covered a lot of personal development, best practices. 
And one thing in particular was you covered goal setting. Mm -hmm. So what, and that's my favorite topic in the world. So how does that play a role in your life? What's your approach to uh, goal setting, personal development? And then how does that play into your organization as well? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think it's, it's interesting. Like if you Google goal setting, you could have like millions of, um, things that come up in your search and, you know, there's no, I think I've, I think like all of us, we've kind of, um, probably started in, in one particular way and then like honed it in over the years, like what really works for, for you. Um, I do like weekly and daily goals and also, um, like gratitude. Um, I have a, it sounds crazy because I'm in tech, but I have a planner that I actually write because it helps me like stay on task for the day. Um, so I find that like, (laughs) all right, I'm not live by it. I live by that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, and I, I love it. There's something about writing that is so, um, personal and you have to go through the act of writing, excuse me, um, versus typing. And so, um, I'm a big believer in, Hey, it's, it's a daily thing. Like if I don't hit it that day, I can set out for the next day, but it feels so great to say, like I did that workout or, you know, I got the feedback I needed. So I think, you know, small chunks for me have always worked better. Like, I think you can start big and then make it more digestible. Cause when you're like, I want to run a marathon, but I haven't run, you know, more than a mile. And, you know, I know that's close to your heart that can seem so overwhelming, but if I run a mile every day and then I up it to two, you know, like that seems more digestible to most people, um, than trying to see something so big and it seem impossible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's always one thing I like to to hit on when you know people have might have a big vision and then get scared, which I think it's good to be scared, you know, if you're really going big shooting for the stars, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, small wins become big wins. Right. And I tell folks, yeah, the marathon, you know, it takes it takes a while, but anyone can go start with 1 mile or 2 miles, 3 miles, 4 miles and same thing with catch didn't become what it is overnight, right? right? Little by little. And on goal setting, the mo- the most recent book that I finished was 12 week year. And it basically talks about breaking your goals into 12 week chunks versus mm-hmm. approaching it at uh, 12 months, because that's where typically, you know, you can let things slide. So right. I haven't completely mm-hmm implemented or incorporated everything from that book into, into my personal routine, but there's little bits and pieces I'm taking from it. But one thing it covers in the book is that it talks about greatness and greatness, you know, people that we look at, you know, let's just take a great athlete, someone that Tiger Woods, okay. Tiger Mm -hmm. Woods didn't become great when he won the masters. Tiger Woods became great as a result of going to the driving range every day practicing thousands of shots or Elliot Kipchoge, the guy who broke the sub two hour marathon didn't became great because he broke the sub two hour. He became great by running miles and small chunks every day. So it's just stacking those little wins, journaling it, being intentional about what you want. Uh, I know you shared one of these stats, but my, my favorite stat to share is yeah. When you write something down, just by writing something down, you become 42% more likely to accomplish it. Mm-hmm. Love that. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, it, it, you know, 
kind of back to basics, right? I mean, I think that's right. a, an easy thing. And, and there's always like the iceberg image, which is one of my, it, it's kind of like overused, but like the iceberg of success is that you only see the kind of like peak of success with people. You don't see all the hard work and dedication and, you know, everything that they've kind of put into their, their success. So um, all the long hours and risk and dedication. So I think that that's an important thing to always remember, especially for people starting out their career or if they're, you know, in a situation where they want to make a change and, and really focus on that, that dream job. Absolutely. So you mentioned that you write your goals out and you've got your daily weekly planner before Mm -hmm. that, on the last question, you mentioned that you have a passion project. So I'd like to always ask, you know, what's one big goal that you're working towards right now, Mm -hmm. or can you talk about that passion project a little bit more? Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's, it's something, um, you know, that's kind of been in the works for a while. I mean, I, um, am a big, um, proponent and supporter of, um, returnships. So mothers returning to the workforce. And I think that that is a really just untapped, um, opportunity for women that maybe are now in a position to come back or work remotely part-time, whatever it may be. Um, and recruiting is one of those, professions where you can work 20 hours a week or 15 hours a week and really take that and turn it into a career. So one of my goals is to create a formal program, maybe a certification around that. And so that not just women, like returnships include, you know, also um, fathers that have taken a step back. There's a lot of um, dads out there that as well. Um, So anyone really that you know, wants to learn recruiting, it's absolutely something that, you know, anyone can pick up. And if you're passionate about it, you can make a career with it. So that's the, that's the big goal. (laughs) I love it. Look forward to seeing it. So one, I love to end with call it the rapid fire round. Mm -hmm. And, you know, here in Charleston that our buildings aren't super tall. So that means that you don't have to ride an elevator for a very long time. Right. But I do love that, you know, folks say it's important to have an elevator speech. And in this case, the way I like to to go through this round is you envision that you're riding up an elevator in, let's just say, a local building here. So we'll go Chamber of Commerce. We've been talking about that a lot. So it's only it's only four stories. Four stories. I, yeah. yeah, four stories. So it's a short ride. But you get on and at the first floor and every floor someone someone gets on and they recognize you they're like oh christina Locke." so you get on and you only have one floor to answer the question because then they they get off okay so someone gets on and at the first floor like hey christina you know what's one book that i should read that can really propel my mindset and get me to believe in that that i can do anything I would say um, one of my favorite is essentialism because it really distills down all the distractions that we have in our life to keeping the main thing, the main thing. And that was really for me um, such a impactful book, you know, being a working mom and owning a company and having all kinds of obligations. It, it you just push out the noise and you really focus on the one thing that you want to accomplish that day, that week, that year. And you have this one single arrow versus if you think about all the distractions that you can involve yourself with. Um, that was an amazing book for me. I love it. Someone else hops on second floor going to third. So we're not up at the top yet at the boardroom. 
and they recognize you and they want to start their own business. Mm-hmm. They say, Hey, Christina, what, what are some traits that I should really focus on developing or refining as I start my own business? Wow. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, would I like say, to ask the fun elevator question. Yeah. I would say <laughs> number one, get a great CPA, <laughs> um, and attorney. Um, but from personal traits, you know, business development is always going to be something you have to know how to close deals in really any business that you're in, especially as a founder. Um, I would say too, just getting um, comfortable with uncomfortable conversations and then, of course, I'm going to say recruiting, because if you can't recruit a great team, then, you know, it's going to be difficult to, to start a business. You have to really be intentional about the first people you bring on the bus. I love it. And so this one is, is going down. So we're going to give you a couple of floors because this person is they just like to get deep. So they say, all right, Christina, been following you for a while. I love catch. See how it's growing. What do you really want your legacy to be? That I made a difference in a community and in people's lives. And that, you know, I set a great example for my children. You know, I want them to live out those dreams, if it's owning a company or not, um, whatever those dreams are. And to just be a genuinely good person, right? To to say that they've given back. And um, I think at the end of the day, that's what we all want our legacy to be, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And inspire, inspire people around us to, to do good and right. be good people. And that's what allows us all to, to win today. So right. how do people keep up? What's the best way to keep up with you, your journey and catch? So LinkedIn, we're very active on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. That's a great way to connect. Um, We put out a lot of content on whether you're a job seeker or a hiring company. And um, again, anyone reaches out, I'm I'm usually really quick. Ryan, you know this, to get back. (laughs) Um, So happy to and would love to connect with anyone in the community or beyond that uh, is interested. I love it. Thank you so much for for joining, Christina. You dropped a lot of amazing knowledge and insight and what i appreciate the most is you know who you are as a person as a leader and that you. you genuinely care about about people and those that, that that work for you and also just who you are as a as a family as a family woman as well i really uh, resonate with what you said and i know that that our listeners will as well so folks keep up with christina keep up with catch and all the amazing things that uh, the organization is up to and win today. Thanks so much for tuning in.